Today we're in Acts chapter 10, if, if you're already thumbing through your Bible, trying to find your place, that's where we're at. It's always great to watch you guys interact with each other and say hi to your friends that you haven't seen in a good few days and all that. It's good. It's a good time. Uh, people don't know it, but the greeting time at our church is actually a fundamental part of our church. Um, it's on purpose that we do it this way so that we can interact because this is meant to be a community of people, you know? Um, and that's one of the things that, as John was, was sharing, you know, with life groups starting, it's, it's hard sometimes to cast a vision for what that group actually is like to people that have never experienced one before. They're like, well, what is this life group thing? You just t- told us it's a life group. It's, we get together in people's homes, and it's usually small, between 8 and 12 to 20 people, and we talk about the message that we hear each week. We talk about what's happening in our lives. We process the word together. We spend some time praying for each other, and really, we just get to spend time with each other and build relationships with people, and so it's a really important part of the, a healthy uh, spiritual walk, and so that's why we, we emphasize and we focus on these life groups. So just like John said, I encourage you, if you're not already involved in one, we would love for you to join. And there's several of them out there, and um, they're all open, and we would love for you to jump in. So anyway, well, it's the, it's the first Sunday of a new year, um, as I've said. And as you know, um, I, I think all of us are kind of naturally wired this way. At the beginning of a new year, a lot of times we're thinking about Wow, it's like we, we finally take a breath from the speed of life and all the things that we have going, and we're like, whoa, it's a brand new year. A new calendar is in front of us, and what is this year going to hold? What am I going to do differently? Several people do things called New Year's resolutions, or they set new goals for themselves, or they talk about, well, I'm going to change this this year, because it's a fresh start. And, and as we start that, um, you know, there's, there's something to be said um, about those things. Now I, now, I know not everybody is a goal setter and they don't do that. But a lot of people will still consider, take a time to consider, hey, what do I need to change in my life? But here's the thing about change. Change is usually a bit uncomfortable, no matter who you are. Now, I know we probably have a few people in here that are like, I love change. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's the newness of life. But most of you in here are probably way on the other side of, no, I don't want anything to change ever. <laughs> keep it the same because it's often uncomfortable. But as Tony reminded us last week in his message, change is part of the transformation that happens in the lives of Christians. It's just part of it. It's par for the course. It's what happens in our journey with God. And in today's story, what we're going to look at here today, we're going to look at the entire uh, chapter of Acts chapter 10. We're going to see a really vivid picture of, of someone's life being changed. Specifically, though, it's their beliefs being changed. Now, a lot of times when we talk about change in, in the Bible, change in Scripture, change in, in church, Usually you're thinking about, yeah, well, somebody got saved. And so because of that, there's a major change that happens in their lives. Totally true. And that's wonderful. It's one of the greatest changes that we celebrate as a church. When someone goes from being lost to being found, to not knowing God, to have a relationship with God, that's enormous. And it's beautiful. But here in Acts chapter 10, we're actually looking at someone who is already a believer, Someone who has been radically changed many, many times by the Lord and who is walking with God. But still, God is going deep into this man's life to change some deep things about who he is. And what we see as we walk with God, the longer you walk with God, the more and more you discover that God needs to change things in us. So don't feel uh, worried or don't feel a little strange if you're like, whoa, God needs to change something in me? I I thought I've got stuff together. I think I'm doing all right. You probably do. I hope you do. But there's always going to be things that God can change for the better. All right? So that's what we're going to talk about. And and my my hope is through this, I'm going to challenge you to not only accept change, but to embrace change. All right? Love the change, people. That's what we're hoping for. Um, 
it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, even if you're embracing it, by the way. Um, but it is what God has for you in your life. So to give you a little context here to, to set the stage, I know it's, um, you know, Tony brought us back to Acts last week, but we've been away from it for a little while. But Acts is the birth of the church. We've seen the day of Pentecost. We've seen what's going on. We see the church start to grow and spread and expand. And, and back in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it said this. It said, so the church throughout all Judea, And Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So things are going well for the church, this young church throughout the land. The persecution that we had seen back in Acts chapter 7 kind of settled a little bit. And so there was some space for people to spiritually grow. And for the next couple of chapters here in Acts... We are going to follow more of Peter's ministry. Peter, okay? Now, most of you are pretty familiar with Peter. And uh, you know Peter was one of the twelve. In fact, he may have been, of the twelve disciples, he may have been the one closest to Jesus. He was kind of a leader among the twelve. Peter was the one who declared Jesus to be the Christ. When Jesus first asked his disciples, who do people say I, I am? And now who do you say I am? And that's when Peter was bold and said, you're the Christ. It's the first time that that had been declared. And God, uh, Jesus said, God has revealed this to you, Peter. Uh, Peter was the one who walked on water. I know you've heard that story before. He's the one who did that. He was also the one who denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. Remember that? Jesus told them, hey, before the crow, uh, the rooster crows, three, three times you're going to deny me. And he did. But he was also the one who was reestablished by Jesus. Peter was the one who preached on the day of Pentecost. Peter was a leader in the early church. And last week, we saw two incredible miracles through Peter that reflected Jesus' ministry in the towns of Lydda and Joppa. And one of those that we saw last week was he brought Tabitha back from the dead. Incredible stuff, right? She was dead and brought back to life. And that created quite a stir in that town. And so Peter had come over here and he was ministering. And when this takes place, somebody comes back from the dead, he realized, okay, I need to stay here for a little while in this town. And I need to minister to these people and establish this church, teach them everything I can about Jesus. And so that's that's where we left him last week. But when that job was finished, God sent him his next assignment. But this time... Peter was not only going to change other people's lives, his own life was about to be forever changed. So that's where we pick up here today in Acts chapter 10. So if you haven't turned there already, get there. Acts chapter 10, here's what verse 1 says. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. All right, so right here in Acts 10, we start off with a new character in a new place with a new role than we've seen before. All right, let's walk through that a little bit because who he is and what his role is here in Acts chapter 10 is very important. First off, it tells us that he was in Caesarea. And my map-loving friends, I have a map for you. All right, here we are. So, as you might be aware, here's Jerusalem, okay? This is the Dead Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee up here. Here's the, the places where Jesus said, hey, the gospel's going to go. It's going to start here in Jerusalem and into the greater Judea and then into Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. That's everywhere else. Well, last week when Peter came from Jerusalem, he came down to Lydda, and that's where we saw uh, Aeneas be healed. And then from there, he went over to Joppa. That's where we saw Tabitha raised from the dead. That's where this story starts. Peter's here in Joppa. But right up the coast, right up the coast here is Caesarea. And that's where we're seeing this here today. Caesarea is a beautiful place um, to this day. I've got a picture here. This is a modern picture of Caesarea. It's coastal. It's beautiful. This is actually a first century amphitheater right here. There's an aqueduct that's up here, a Roman aqueduct, first century again. Um, It's beautiful, right on the coast, even to this day. And you can go and and still visit those places, obviously not right now with all the the stuff going on over there. But it's a beautiful place. And this man, Cornelius, is a Roman soldier stationed there. 
And it tells us that he's a centurion. Now, if you see the word centurion and you think the word century or centimeter, it's right. Because it's, it, originally, the Roman military went through a lot of different uh, reorganizations through the Roman Empire. But at one time, when it first started, a centurion was over 100 men. All right? If you've got a penny, it's also called a cent. It's because it takes 100 cents to make a dollar. Huh? Some of you who are under 20 are like, are you talking about that cash thing that people... Yes, I am. So, right? Okay. A centurion. You have 100 soldiers in this little group. And a centurion was the one over 100 men. All right? It also tells us that he was part of the Italian cohort. A cohort was actually another military term. A cohort was usually between 600 and 1,000 soldiers. So you would have about 6 to 10 centurions with a cohort... And this particular cohort, it tells us, was Italian. What that means is they were probably all trained um, and mustered over in Italy. Why is that all important? It's important because you need to understand they were outsiders that were stationed in Israel. And this is very important to the rest of this story. They were not local people from the region. They certainly weren't Jewish They were not even from Israel and the greater area there. They were all the way across the Mediterranean Sea from Italy. Okay, They were outsiders living here at this time. But what it also tells us about Cornelius here is that he was a God-fearer. All right, What's a God-fearer? That's somebody who believes in God but might not know much about the God he or she believes in. All right? So the, we would call them a, a spiritual person. They had a respect for spiritual things and spirituality. They were open to the ideas of the spiritual realm, but they didn't have a whole lot of details to kind of go with that, to focus that spirituality. We would probably call people like that today like spiritual seekers, maybe. Um, and, and, and there's a greater and greater number of people in our culture, in our world right now, that fall into this category. People that consider themselves to be very spiritual, uh, that that are thinking about spiritual things, but they don't really have um, a a real knowledge of what that means and how to know God. You know, um, sometimes I think that, that Christians can get it a little bit wrong in their heads because you see somebody who's a spiritual seeker and you're like, oh my gosh, how clueless can this person be? Like, here they are in Ocean Beach buying crystals, you know, because they think there's power in the rock, you know, and they're, they're dedicating themselves to this. Guys, they're looking, they're searching for something. They're seeking spirituality. They, they know there's something greater than themselves, and they're trying to figure it out, okay? So in, instead of having that attitude of looking down on them, what we need to recognize is, whoa, these people have a heart. They're trying to seek spiritual things. We can help point them to God the way God has revealed himself to humanity so that they can know these things and learn these things and understand these things. You may not know this, but the church, capital C Church, and our church locally is made for spiritual seekers. We want those people to come to church. We want them to learn about God and understand spiritual things and and understand how God has revealed himself to people. All right? So... If you had that other perspective, change it. There's your first change of the day. (laughs) Instead, we love these people. We bring these people in to show them how God has revealed himself to the world. Now, um, he he was also, what it tells us here, it says um, that he led, he was not only a God-fearer, but he also led his family into the same beliefs. All right, this guy was a strong leader. And he was generous toward others. And also, it tells us that he was a man of prayer. In fact, it says this guy, who doesn't really even know what God he's praying to, prayed continually. That's a little convicting for me personally. I know God. And I oftentimes am like, I need to pray more. I'm not praying continually. I'm not praying enough. Yes, I know the Bible says pray without ceasing. Yes, I know that. I know we need to pray. But here's this man who doesn't even know what God he's praying to, but he's praying all the time. And, and I want you to notice, we're going to see here, that God doesn't miss it. He does not miss 
this guy praying. If anyone prays, God hears. Now you should know that God's children have a different access to the Father's heart. Um, And because of the work of Jesus, we can come to God as his adopted children. And he hears us not just as another voice, but as his child. All right? But if you weren't sure about this, God hears all prayers. Every prayer, God hears. So, he's this man of prayer. He's generous toward others. Um, he's, He's doing the best he can. But what we see with all this, knowing now that he's from Caesarea or living in Caesarea, but he's Italian, the, the, one of the key things to understand is that he is not Jewish. He's not Jewish. Now, so far in the book of Acts, we have seen the, the gospel not just start in Jerusalem, but begin to expand. We talked about how it went into Judea and into Samaria. If you remember, Philip went into the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans, I I taught you when we went through this, the Samaritans were considered like second-class Jews because they had intermingled and intermarried with all the other people, the local people of the area. And so for the kind of snobby Jews back in Jerusalem, they looked down on the Samaritans because they were partially Jews. But they were still counted as Jews-ish, okay? All right? Um, the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip ministered to that we studied as well. He was coming to worship in Jerusalem as a Jew, probably a, a convert to Judaism. So he was still considered a proselyte, a converted Jew, but he was still considered a Jew, even though he was from a whole different place. But this man, Cornelius, was a total Gentile. All right, And that's a Bible word, Gentile. That's what the Jews referred to anyone who wasn't a Jew. All right, No matter what country, background, race that you were, if you weren't Jew, you were Gentile, all right? Cornelius was a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He doesn't plan on becoming a Jew. There's nothing Jewish about him. He's a Gentile. And this really matters here in this story. You'll see why as we go on. Up until this point in the story, the good news of the gospel and the experience of the Holy Spirit only been in the Jewish world. You may not know this, but Jesus was a Jew. All 12 disciples were Jews. All the first converts were Jews. It's all been Jewish until this point. All right? And in verse 3, it says this. About the ninth hour of the day, he, meaning Cornelius, saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius and he stared at him in terror and said what is it Lord and he said to him your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God so it's three o'clock in the afternoon he's wide awake he's doing his prayer thing his continual praying he's praying and he gets this visitor this angel And it's enough to terrify him because he realizes, I am talking with a celestial being here. This is not just, you know, a guy from down the street that came to give me a message. This is someone else. And what this angel says to him is your prayers and your alms, your your good service, um, your generosity, all those things, your acknowledgement of God and your efforts to bless others has been recognized. Not only that, it's ascended as a memorial before God. What's he saying? He's like, you got God's attention. God's up there in heaven, listening to every prayer that's being said all around the world all the time. And he's calling the angels over and he's like, look at this guy. This guy Cornelius. This guy just keeps on praying. I, he doesn't even know my name, but he's praying. Like, this, this is incredible. And it's risen as like a memorial in front of God. All right? Now, as we know, good works or prayers or even a a really well-meaning heart, it's not going to save someone, but it definitely got God's attention. And and that is where we see um, this this moving forward. Uh, It couldn't save him, but it's still astounding. Because here's, here's what we learn. What the Bible teaches us and what experience teaches us is that Human beings, because we're made in the image of God, we all have impressed on us a certain understanding of natural law. 
All right? Romans 2 describes it this way. It says this. It says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There are certain things instinctual to us that are in us just because we're made in the image of God. For instance, murder is considered wrong in every culture. Cultures that have never seen a Bible, heard of a Bible. Cultures that are on all corners of the planet, all over. They know murder is wrong. Now, there may be different uh, ways that that all plays out in their society and there may be different things involved in it but murder is considered wrong but Cornelius here he just has this natural law he knows he he just feels like I should I should address this almighty being there is an almighty being out there I need to pray I, I should be generous and kind to other people I should show compassion to people I just think it's right that's the natural law that is in his heart And here's what happens in verse 5. And it says, so the angel, after he tells him, look, your prayers, the way you're living, it's become a memorial to God. And now, verse 5, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Uh, and, and when, uh, I'm sorry, um, and when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Basically, what the angel says is this, don't get confused, there's two Simons, they're living in the same house, Simon and Simon, I want you to know which Simon to get, go get Peter. I need you to go get this guy, Peter. And in verse 9, it says, the next day, As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, let's see what's going on here. Peter is, you know, he, he, he's going about his normal day. Um, it, it tells us here what hour of the day it is. Um, it's this, the sixth hour. That's noon. All right, it's lunchtime. Peter is taking a break in his day. He's like, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go up on the roof where it's nice and quiet. In my mind, he gets up on the rooftop. Joppa is also right along the coast, as we saw. Same thing, beautiful ocean view. Uh, Peter's up there. He's checking the waves. He's also praying, but it's not that that speaks to him. It's his stomach. He gets up there and he's like, ah, it is lunchtime. I am hungry, right? Um, now, this, uh, sometimes when I get hungry, I get almost a little delirious. I think I'm seeing things. That's not what's going on here with Peter, all right? Well, that's not it. Um, he's, he's receiving a vision from God. It says he falls into a trance. The Greek word is ekstasis. It means like standing outside of. It's you're, you're seeing something outside of your existence. He recognizes this thing. It's outside of him. He knows it's, it's something else. He's not just imagining it. And what happens here is this, this event where this sheet is being lowered and lifted, lowered and lifted. But on this sheet are these animals now, here's what you have to understand about the Jewish culture and the Jewish system. The Jews had these animals that they were not allowed to eat. They had dietary restrictions. There, were, there was a law put in place with Moses that God had established, very rigorous laws that were established for the Jews. Because what God was doing was he was embedding in their culture this deep sense of his holiness 
and the need for his people to be different from the rest of the people of the world. He was establishing with the law of Moses this thing that said, this is, you are going to live differently than everyone else. And, and I am separating you to be my people that live differently because I am different. I am a God who is holy without sin. That is not like people. And I need you to see this clearly. And so he set up these, these laws and rules. And if you've read through that in the Old Testament, you're like, what is this stuff about? It was part of the way that God was helping them understand there's a difference between us. We need to live differently because our God is different. And that was what he had established. And in that, in all of those things, there were these, these, these laws in place to reinforce the code of holiness. And dietary restrictions were included in that. They couldn't eat pork. They couldn't eat shellfish or rodents or camels or reptiles or birds of prey or insects. Okay, and, and by the way, that's the way the Jews continue to eat this day are still this way. They're still holding to the Old Testament dietary laws. So if they're an observant Jew, this is what they, they stay away from. They don't eat bacon, guys. It's not the way it works. And if someone ate those things, they would be considered unclean. And they'd have to go through a purification process to return to worship and be right before God. Okay? So these are the animals that are in the sheet that this Jew, Peter, is seeing raised and lowered. But those animals that he cannot eat, that are dirty to him, that are common, unclean animals, that is what the voice in the vision is telling him, get up and eat. And so Peter is now stuck. He's right to be confused here, maybe even a little offended, that God would even put this in front of him. He's like, God, is this like a test or a temptation? I've never eaten any of this stuff. I mean, I know I've got my shortcomings, God, and we've had these conversations before, but I haven't gone here yet. I'm not eating lobster. You know, that's not what's happening. What, why would he even suggest that I would eat this? Now, if you remember Peter's life, you also know that three times is significant in his life. Because it was three times that Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times. Right after Peter had said, I'll die with you. I'll never deny you. He's like, actually, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. And then after that, when God, Jesus um, reinstated Peter three times, he had to ask Peter in a single conversation, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, Lord, I do love you. Thanks. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Oh, you just asked me that. I already told you. Yes, I do. Lord, Peter, do you love me? Oh, the three and the three, I get it. Okay. Yes, Lord, I love you. All right? Not only that, throughout Scripture, we just sang about it this morning, right? Three times, holy, holy, holy. It's this redundancy to really get the point across. God is holy. No, no, no. God is holy. You still don't get it? God is holy. That's how this is to come across. All right, it's to be certain that it sinks in. Parents, try this with your kids. Make your bed. Make your bed. Make your bed. All right, we know how that works. This is what's being said here. So this sheet comes down. Do not call what God has made clean. Don't call it unclean. But Peter's like, that is everything I've always been taught. That's everything I know. This is what I hold on to. And God's saying, nope, it's not the way it's going to be. What God has made clean, do not call common. So when this vision was finished, Peter was very clear of the message, but was very unsure of the application. He's like, why did this just happen right now? I don't get that at all. I mean, I'm on a coastal town. There's some good seafood around here. I've always wanted a shrimp burrito. Maybe that's what God's telling me. I don't know. Who knows? Well, here's what happens in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what, um, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, 
was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. We'll stop right there. Here is what's so important for us to understand. And we don't see this as just modern people. But the Jews and the Gentiles did not mix. They didn't mix. And these Italian men, they know the culture. They knew the cultural norms. Look, they're called out over the fence. (laughs) Right? They don't even dare walk into the house. They come to the gate and like, hey, you guys over there. Yeah, we're, we're Gentiles, but we're looking for this guy, right? They're, they're keeping their distance. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, knows the cultural norms as well. That's why he has to expressly say, don't hesitate to go with them. I have sent them. That's what Peter had to hear. And Peter here, let's give it to him. He's perplexed, but he's obedient. He invited them in as guests. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to us, but that was going to be a big deal to Simon and Simon, okay? And you can just imagine Simon, who owns the house and is letting Peter stay there, he's like, you what? You're letting some Gentiles into the house? You realize none of us can go to synagogue at church on Saturday now? Like, we all have to go get cleansed before we, like, we're all going to be unclean if we let these guys into our house? And you, you offered to let them stay the night? Like, this is a big deal that's going on here. It wouldn't have been comfortable for Peter. Definitely not for Simon, his host. But listen, God was calling him to change. That's what was happening here. Let's move on. The last half of verse 23 says, The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. They're like, well, we're already dirty for the week. We might as well go with you. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Now, I do want us to just notice here that Peter now understood what God was teaching him. He gets it. But this new perspective, it was going against everything he'd known up to this point in his life. Everything. This would not have been easy for Peter. This was a big deal for him. And there's, there's three things that I just want to pull out of this that I think it could be helpful for us. And it's how Peter embraced change. And I, th- I think that we see three things here. Sticking with the three that we find here in this text, right? The first thing is that he was willing to hear Peter was willing to hear. He put himself in a place to hear God. What was he doing when he had this vision? He was praying. He was doing his normal routine of talking to God. What is prayer? It's communicating with God. It's not just talking at God, but it's also listening to God. Prayer is a two-way conversation. And that's what Peter was experiencing in his prayer life. It was probably his usual practice. And he seriously considered what he'd been told. God is always ready to speak, but we're not always ready to listen. And so if you want to know what God wants to speak into your life and what he wants to do in your life, if you're trying to figure out, well, I don't know what my goal should be for the year 2024, go talk to God about it. But listen to what God might want to speak into your life. 
Listen to him. That's what prayer is, is all about. So he heard. Secondly, we see that he received. Peter was humble enough to change. And I think this is a, a, a picture of the maturity that Peter had experienced in his life of walking with God. Um, way back when, when Peter was with Jesus and Jesus was telling his disciples about being crucified, the first, maybe not the first time, but one of the times when Jesus told the disciples all about this, he's like, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, they're going to kill me. What was one of the responses that Peter had? No, you're not. Don't even talk like that. He rebuked Jesus. Okay, he, he steps up to Jesus and is like, quit talking about that stuff. Are you kidding? No way. That's not going to happen. You're the son of God. We're going to take care of you. The father's going to take care of you. You got the miraculous firepower of the angels of heaven on your side. That's not going to happen. Dude, you're like correcting Jesus. Right? At that point in his life, he was arrogant enough to do it. At this point in his life, a lot of other things had happened. And in this case, he didn't talk back to God when the sheet comes down. Who do you think I am, God? I wouldn't do that. I'd never do that. No matter what anybody would say to me, I'm not going to eat those animals. No. It's like, I haven't done this before, God. Are you sure? What's going on? And he receives it. He hears it. He was humble. Um, and that was necessary. Uh, I know that none of us like going through hard things in life. We don't like pain. We don't like suffering. We don't like struggle. But one of the good graces and outcomes that happen from going through hard things in life is humility. It takes hard things in life to break our pride. And pride is one of the biggest problems that we have as human beings keeping us from God. So when we embrace the change that happens, a lot of times we have to embrace the humility that's necessary to be living the way God would have us live. So, he heard the word of God, he received the word of God, and then he obeyed. He obeyed. He obeyed God even when he didn't understand it all. Despite all of his personal convictions and his knowledge that it's going to offend his peer group, because he knew, oh man, I'm going to hear this from the rest of the Jewish community. <laughs> uh, I'm already hearing it from Simon, who I'm staying with. I'm going to hear it from the synagogue. When I get back to Jerusalem, they're going to find out. I'm going to hear this, and I'm not going to hear the end of it. He knew that, but he knew God's faithfulness and he knew that the most secure place to be is on God's path, no matter what the repercussions would be. So when we think about embracing change in our own lives, I think these are some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves. First off, what has God spoken to me? What am I hearing from God? What am I seeing when I read the Bible? What am I hearing when I pray? What am I experiencing when, I'm, when I come to church these are the places that where you can start hearing God's voice. And I know that, that may feel very mystical and weird to some of you, but God speaks to people. And he is always speaking. We just have to learn to tune our ears to hear what God wants to speak into our lives. And he uses lots of methods to speak to us. So if God's speaking to us, what has he shown us? What have we heard? Secondly, what, how am I going to receive it? Am I humble enough to receive it? What will be the compass for my life? Is it going to be what culture tells me? Or is it going to be things like scripture? Is it going to be things like I've learned in walking with God? What is going to, where, how am I going to steer myself? Am I humble enough to actually follow God? And then finally, will I choose to obey even if it challenges my way of life? That's what Peter had to go up against. All right, we're still moving here. Um, look at verse 30. It says then, it says, so, so Peter's come, he's in there, he's like, why did you guys send for me? And Cornelius said in verse 30, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers... Uh, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, and how how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the moment where it all clicked for Peter. He knew what Jesus had told them. Way back in Acts 1.8, we always refer to that verse because it's like the key verse of the whole book of Acts. When Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. And that all made sense up to this point. And to the ends of the earth. That was the part that was a little confusing for all the disciples. Because they're like, wow, are there Jews living at the ends of the earth? Hmm, how's that going to work? Are we like just going to become this military force that spreads out and goes everywhere like the Romans do? And then that's how we'll go to the ends of the earth? What is going on there? I don't really know how that's all going to work. None of them could imagine it. They had the Jewish mindset that salvation was from the Jews and for the Jews, which it was at first, but it would also be for everyone else. And now his eyes were opened for the first time. The first time Peter now understood what Jesus had been telling them. He was like any other Jew. They had been told that the Gentiles were created by God just to stoke the fires of hell. That's the only reason they exist. That's why God made them. They're just people that are going to flame up hell. The Jews are the only ones that are going to be saved. That's what he had viewed. That's the way he had viewed the world. But no, he now sees it. God loves the whole world. And this vision illustrated to him this deep shift that had to take place in his thinking. And God wasn't contradicting himself. He wasn't changing his mind or making an exception. He was revealing the entire gospel for the very first time. Jesus had already alluded to it. Back when Jesus, uh, before he had been crucified in John 4, 22, he was talking to a woman at a well in Samaria, and here's what he said to her. He said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But he gives her an insight into the gospel, which is amazing. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Paul wrote, wrote it this way in Romans 1.16. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Moving on here as we finish. Verse 44. Hang with me, guys. While Peter was still saying these things, look what happens now. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. These Gentiles received the supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit, just as the Jewish disciples had. God himself was putting the Gentile believers on an equal footing with the Jewish believers. 
Listen to this in Galatians chapter 3. It says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. This was the law of, of Moses. This was the law of the Jews. Imprisoned until co- the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. By embracing change, God used Peter to do things that he would have never imagined. This was shifting a thousand-year-old culture. This was, you may not recognize this, but, but even what Paul is describing here, there's now no longer male or female. Guys, go look at the history of the world. The history of the world has been very negative toward women for as long as history has been in existence. You know what broke that? The gospel. In Christ, we are now made one. We are equal, on equal footing. This was an amazing thing. And if you want to live the life that God has for you, he's going to change some things in the way that you view the world. He's going to change some biases that you may have or may have been given. He's going to challenge your prejudice. He's going to make you do things and be a different person than maybe your natural inclinations are. That's what happens when people walk with God. He changes them. You have to learn to embrace that change. You can fight against God, but why? Stop it. Go with him in this. And I believe that that's the way that God continues to work. You've probably heard the statement before, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way, right? You've got to change. We all have to change. So the question here as we finish this today is this. Are you willing to embrace the change that God wants to bring into your life? We've already established the fact that it's not comfortable. This was not easy for Peter. Yeah, it was exciting when he finally saw the Holy Spirit fall on these people and he realized what was happening. But that process all the way up there, that two-day walk from Joppa to Caesarea was not fun. This was hard. This was deep stuff that was being stirred up. Are you willing to embrace the change that God wants to bring in your life? And if you are, then ask the Holy Spirit to show you what that is. You want to think about what your new year might look like? I hope, for me personally, that I'm a different person at the start of next year than I am this year, right now. And the part that I'm hoping to change is what God wants to change in me. That's what I want to see happen. That's what I want to try to embrace. So we ask the Holy Spirit to show us what it is that he wants to change and then ask him to empower us to actually step into that change by faith. Because it's hard. But he will empower us to do it. It's not just left up to our own strength. If we yield ourselves to God, he will empower us to get through this next phase. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I, uh, I pray that you would speak to my brothers and sisters here today through this message. And uh, Lord, it's sometimes hard for us to imagine what it is that you want to do. And, uh, and God, I know that the, a big part of that is because we're, we're not the greatest listeners sometimes. And I don't mean listeners to a message or anything like that, but listening to you and to your voice. And so, Lord, today I ask that you'd speak a little louder than normal even. I pray that today our hearts and minds and souls would just open up to what it is that you are are doing in our lives. 
And we know that sometimes change is inevitable and we don't have any control over it. Sometimes things happen to us externally that, that bring change into our life that we're not ready for, that we don't want. But Lord, as your people, as your children, we can trust that you will be faithful no matter what crosses our path, no matter what comes our way. And so, God, today I ask that you would help us to be aware of what you want to do in our lives through the change that might be coming our way. But help us not only hear it and be aware of it, but also be humble enough to receive it and courageous enough to obey it. And there may be some things here in, that are coming to people's minds this morning. Uh, maybe you're one of these people that, that feel like, I know exactly what needs to change in my life. God has been speaking it for weeks, months, years even. I need to change these things. And I know it and I've heard it, but I've not been able to receive it or I've not been able to obey it. And maybe today, God wants to do something in your life to break the control of whatever that is. Maybe it's an attitude of your heart. Maybe it's a spirit of anger or jealousy or greed. Maybe it's a a physical addiction to something. Maybe it's an addiction of your eyes, an addiction of your body. Whatever it may be, if you've heard it, and you're willing to receive it, ask God to empower you to obey it. Because I believe that there's great blessing on the other side of our transformation and our change. That's why we embrace it, is because we want to live the life that God wants us to live. We want to step into the things that God has for us in our lives. And we have to be willing to lay down our own agendas and our own way of doing things and our own worldview so that he can. So Jesus, please, today, by your spirit, work through the hearts that are here. Bring some transformation, bring some change into us. Right now, I want to give us a minute or two just to to sit with that. I want to give you uh, some space to just pray. Transform us. I pray these things in Jesus' name.